Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and this week we are talking about Ty West's breakout directorial role, or film, I guess you could say, The House of the Devil. I'm super excited to talk about this one. I chose this movie this week specifically for the fact that last week, I think it was the Pearl trailer dropped, which is the sequel to Ty West's X that came out um, in April, I think it was, or late March. Um, absolutely amazing movie. I loved X so much, like the cinematography. There was this really amazing transition that if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about, but it's the one with the light switch and then the like pitchfork, 10 out of 10. The sound was great. The lighting was great. That scene will probably live in my brain for the rest of my life because it was so amazing. Um, and then Pearl dropped, the trailer dropped this week, and I'm so, so, so excited for that because I loved X so much, so I'm super excited to get an origin story for Pearl. Thank you. <laughs> she, okay, so my dog is, uh, I'm recording in a different room today since my brother's in town, so um, I am typically use his room as like my recording studio, so I'm in our spare room. And so I'm really sorry if you can hear my dog breathing because she's being super um, clingy right now. She's a German Shepherd, so uh, maximum cling factor. So sorry if you hear her breathing. Uh, I will try my best to keep her away from the microphone. But anyway, uh, super pumped to talk about Ty West's film, The House of the Devil. I think this one's great. It's got a great vibe, super cool fun facts. Um, so without further ado, let's jump in with a summary. Desperate to make some money so she can move into a new apartment, college student Samantha Hughes takes a mysterious babysitting job. When she arrives at the house, Mr. Ullman mentions a full lunar eclipse and explains there's actually no child, but that Samantha will be watching his mother instead. After ignoring the sinister-seeming home, Samantha soon comes to realize that her employers are hiding a horrifying secret and have plans to use her dead or alive. So now that we've got a summary, we can get into a cast breakdown. So first and foremost, we are going to talk about Ty West, who is the writer and director of The House of the Devil. So Ty West is an American film director, producer, screenwriter, editor, cinematographer, and occasional actor, best known for his work in horror films. He directed the horror films The Roost, The House of the Devil, The Innkeepers, The Sacrament, and of course X, and is doing... Pearl, which is amazing. Um, I also hear that the sacrament is amazing. I have not seen it. It's on my like need to watch list, but super excited when I finally get to see that one. And then he's also done a Western called In a Valley of Violence in 2016. And then he's also acted in a number of films, uh, mostly in those directed by either himself or Joe Swanberg. So then we will jump to our main character samantha hughes who's played by jocelyn donahue who if you remember we talked about in dr sleep because she plays abra's mom in dr sleep so after a supporting role in the western horror film the burrowers in 2008 donahue was cast as the lead in the house of the devil in 2009 she went on to play leading roles in the last godfather and Live at the Fox's Den. And then she also appeared in End of Love, Holidays, and then of course, like I mentioned, Dr. Sleep. Uh, and then she has also appeared in a number of commercials for Levi's, Zune, Vitamin Water, Apple, Subway, and Mercedes-Benz. Next, we move on to Mr. Ullman, who was played by Tom Noonan. So Tom is an American actor, director, and screenwriter, perhaps best known for his role as Francis Dollarhide in Manhunter. Frankenstein's Monster and the Monster Squad, a classic, one of my favorite Halloween films. I actually hadn't seen that film until, 
want to say like two or three years ago and my stepsister showed it to me and she's like how have you not seen this and i watched it and i was like how have i not seen this this is freaking amazing it's amazing film if you haven't watched monster squad homework go watch monster squad i will definitely be doing monster squad for the podcast um yeah it's great 10 out of 10. tom also plays kane in robocop 2 the ripper and last action hero he was also in Hell on Wheels and 12 Monkeys. And then Noonan is also a writer and director of theater and film. And so his debut feature film, What Happened Was, won the Dramatic Grand Jury Prize and Screening Award at the Sundance Film Festival. And that was in 1994. Next, we will jump to Miss Ullman, who's played by Mary Wernov, and Mary is an American actress, published author, and figurative painter. She is primarily known as a cult star because of her work with Andy Warhol and her roles in Roger Corman's cult films. Warnoff has appeared in over 80 movies. Warnoff has appeared in over 80 movies and on stage at the Lincoln Center in off-Broadway productions, as well as numerous times in mainstream American TV series such as Charlie's Angels and Knight Rider, and she frequently co-starred with Paul Bartel, and the pair appeared in 17 films together, often playing a married couple. So if you've not seen The House of the Devil yet, and you decide to watch it after, um, someone that you might be surprised to see in this is actually Greta Gerwig. So Greta Gerwig plays Samantha's best friend, Megan, and Greta, of course, if you're into film, is an American actress, writer, and director. She first garnered attention after working on and appearing in a number of mumblecore films between 2006 and 2009. She appeared in a number of films by Joe Swanberg, some of which she co-wrote or co-directed, including Hannah Takes the Stairs and Nights and Weekends. Since early 2010, Gerwig has collaborated with her partner Noah Baumbach on several films, including Greenberg, Francis Ha, and Mistress America. She also appeared in Whit Stillman's Damsels in Distress, Woody Allen's Two Room with Love, Rebecca Miller's Mackie's Plan. Uh, she's been in a ton of other stuff. She was in Wes Anderson's Isle, Isle of Dogs. Gerwig has also had two solo directorial ventures, the coming-of-age film of Lady Bird and Little Women, both which earned nominations for the Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, and then she, of course, right now is working on Barbie with Margot Robbie, which I'm very excited for. I loved Lady Bird a lot. Um, and Little Women, of course, you can't go wrong with the book or any of the films. Gerwig was included in the annual Time 100 list of the most influential people in the world in 2018. So next we're going to jump to Victor Ullman, who is the son of the Ullmans, and he is played by A.J. Bowen. So A.J. starred in The Signal and The House of the Devil, of course. His, the first feature film from his production company, Normal Town, was Maidenhead, in which he stars he also starred in Hatchet 2 and was part of the Christmas episode of the Dreaded Central's Dinner for Friends. He also starred in the thriller film Rites of Spring, and he co-starred in the film You Are Next, which I cannot wait to do for the podcast because that one is pretty amazing, has a pretty solid twist, good deaths, uh, just a, a, a pretty solid one all around. And then the second to last actress, that or actor, um, performer, entertainer, whatever um, you want to call them, is um, Dee Wallace, who plays the landlady that we see in the beginning of the film. So Dee is also known as Dee Wallace Stone. She's an American actress, and 
She's best known for her role as Mary Taylor, the mother in E.T. And she's also known for starring in roles in several horror films, including The Hills Have Eyes, The Howling, Cujo, and Critters, which earned her the title of Scream Queen. Which, oh, if I could earn any title in the world, I would love to earn the title of Scream Queen. Someone, somewhere in Hollywood, just let me let me play a dead body. Let me get murdered. I'll be the first person murdered. I don't care in the movie. Just let me let me have my Hollywood death scene, please. Please, please, please. Also, this is a side note, but Greta Gerwig's character is named Megan. I swear, every single movie that I watch with a character named Megan, she is either the bad guy or she dies or both. And I, 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 I was made for this. I'm just throwing it out there. Made to be a dead body in in film and television, not in real life. I mean, I guess we're all made to be dead bodies in real life. That's getting too serious. Okay, back to the movie. The last person that we're going to talk about is Danielle No, who plays Mother. Danielle is known for, of course, House of the Devil, Cooties, and War of the Worlds. And we're not going to talk about much about Mother because we only see Mother for, I don't know, 30 45 seconds in the whole film. But now that we've got the summary and the cast, we can get into some fun facts about the film. The film was actually shot on 16 millimeter film, which was really popular in the 80s, and that kind of gives it that 80s style retro, retro look that they're going for. So then something that I would love to get my hands on one day is actually the promotional release of this because it was initially released on a VHS in a clamshell box. So then the next fun fact is that the film that Samantha watches on TV while baby, quote unquote, babysitting is George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And that film is actually a public domain, so the filmmakers didn't have to pay rights to use it. So smart move on their part. And then kind of going off of what I said first is that this, um, this film was deliberately shot using the same kind of style and using similar techniques as the splatter films of the 70s and 80s, which it emulates. What I think is really interesting, but also kind of makes sense once you watch the film, and it really only takes place in, you know, a couple of locations, uh, that it only took 18 days to shoot the film. Most of the crew were locally sourced from Connecticut, where the film was shot to help keep the cost down to under a million dollars. So this fun factor that was really cool is that the house that they shot everything in, like the house, you know, the house of the devil, um, was infested with ladybugs, which you can actually see in some of the shots of the film. Uh, So there's a scene in the film where Jocelyn Donahue has a whole, like, dance party, I guess you could say. She, like, puts in her um, cassette tape and puts her headphones on and just dances around the house, and she did her own choreography for that scene, which I This isn't like a dig, but you can tell that it was her own choreography because it just felt very normal. Um, Yeah, of like dancing around when no one's home, but you're not, you're just kind of like jumping almost. The camera frequently zooms in on characters, which is one of the techniques that was highly favored in the 80s. Uh, And so then when you watch the film, one of the opening kind of um, scenes that you see or one of the opening cards on the screen is that the film was based on true events, but the events it supposedly depicts are never mentioned in the film or in any of its press releases. So um, curious to see exactly, you know, like it says that in The Strangers, which I talk about, is that like it was based on a true story, but it was based on the director 
his, I think, like, friend's family had a lake house, and where their lake house was, there was a lot of break-ins going on, and so it was, like, loosely based, but no one was actually, like, murdered in their house by stranger, you know what I mean? So, uh, interesting, interesting to see what exactly the true story is that accompanies House of the Devil. Uh, so something that I caught when I watched this the first time and kind of wondered about, and then um, when I was doing research for the, this episode, it seemed like that was correct, is that um, if you remember slash have seen The Shining, um, I talk about Mr. Ullman, who's kind of the um, owner slash operator of the Overlook Hotel, and so he gives the, Jack the job as the winter like Overlook manager. Uh, And so then in this, it's really interesting because Mr. Ullman hires Samantha to basically keep watch over the house and kind of his grandmother, or his mother, and that ends up being a uh, a spooky place and is not good for Samantha. Then the last fun fact that I have is that Greta Gerwig's death scene was shot on her last day of filming, which is a pretty, it's a pretty good death scene. Like... Good, good gore, uh, good shock value. It's, it's, I would, I would give it a solid 8.7 out of 10. But now that we've met the cast and we have a summary and we've got some fun facts, we can get into the scene-by-scene breakdown. This isn't too long of a movie. It's about a 90-minute runtime, so it shouldn't take us too long to get through. But I'm really excited to get into this one. A big fan of Ty West, and if you haven't seen any of his stuff, I would definitely go recommend it. I need to watch The Sacrament, like that's very high on my to watch list, but this is great. X is amazing, and I'm super excited to go see Pearl when it comes out, like pumped. So one of the first kind of displays that we see when the film starts is just words on the screen. And it says, during the 1980s, over 70% of American adults believed in the existence of abusive satanic cults. Another 30% rationalized the lack of evidence due to government cover-ups. The following is based on true, unexplained events. So again, not sure what those true events are, but that's what we get for the opening sequence. So the, the film actually opens on the inside of a house. A woman is in a bedroom looking out the window. We kind of were like um, back in kind of what looks to be the living room. Then it like zooms in through the kitchen and then it zooms in through... Uh, this room where this woman is standing who is our main character samantha and she's looking to rent the room and the landlady agrees to rent it to her she tells samantha that she reminds her of her daughter and we learn that samantha's a student she's looking to move out of her dorm room and samantha doesn't have the money yet for the down payment but the landlady's like you know i'm gonna waive that i'm gonna give you till monday to have first month's rent and we'll get everything sorted then. But like, I know it's hard to come up with all that money. I wish, you know, someone would have been like this with my daughter, which I think is really nice. Like my mom says stuff like that all the time of like, you know, I try to do nice things to people, especially like younger people that remind me of you and your brother, because I would hope that somebody would do something nice for for you or your brother if you needed something. So I think that that's really cool. Um, She seems like a nice lady, but again, we also really only see the landlady. She doesn't even have a name. She's just the landlady in this scene. So they agree Monday she's going to have the money and the landlady leaves and Samantha, our main character, walks back to campus all excited. She's like pumped. She's, and we learn very soon why she's excited to move out of her dorm room. So it's definitely cold where they're at. She gets all bundled up, puts on her mittens. She puts on her headphones, listening to music. And this is when we get the main opening credits. 
She gets back to her dorm building, climbs up the stairs to her room, and her roommate is having sex, so Samantha leaves. Um, again, no wonder she wants to move out. And based on her response, this tends to happen often. She like knocks on the door, she's like, are you serious? Like, it's morning. You kind of wonder, like, were you, did you not sleep in your own room last night? Like, did like where were you, were you, did you have to stay out all night because your roommate was being inconsiderate? So Samantha goes and decides to walk around campus, and as she's walking past a bulletin board, she sees an ad for a babysitting job. She calls the number on the flyer via a payphone on campus and leaves a message. Once she walks away from the payphone, it starts ringing, and it's the man looking for the babysitter. But Samantha gave him the room number when she left the message. She didn't give him the number of the payphone she was at. The man says that he can meet her outside of the student affairs office, and she says right now, and then he hangs up. Like, doesn't really give her much information. Um, She goes back to her room really quick to get some things. Her roommate is finally done having sex with her boyfriend. They're both asleep. Um, And her roommate's a total slob. Like you can tell there's like a definite line from where they each have half of the room. And as Samantha walks in the door, she has to walk over like clothes and trash on the floor. And then her side of the room is completely clean and spotless and um, would definitely be a really sucky situation to be in. I'm very grateful that when I was in college, I had decent roommates because that would have been the worst. So she grabs her bag and leaves, trying not to wake up the roommate or the man sleeping over. Samantha then heads to the student affairs office and waits for quite a while for this guy to show up. She waits on the steps for probably over an hour or at least about an hour because we see a class get out, which most classes in college are either 50 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes. So it's been right around an hour that she's been waiting. Samantha leaves, and next we see her at the pizza place with her friend Megan. And while they're at the pizza place, we see an advertisement for the eclipse that's getting ready to happen. Samantha and Megan are talking about the place that Samantha's going to rent. And Megan's a really good friend. She seems really happy for Samantha. Megan even offers to call her parents to help with the first month's rent money. They talk about the babysitter guy and how rude it was that he stood Samantha up. Megan then tells Samantha that a friend of hers in class recommended the job office at their college, that sometimes that they have good stuff there. And Megan also tries to cheer Samantha up by saying the babysitting thing was probably awful and the kid was probably terrible. She's like, you don't even like kids anyway. And Samantha's like, yeah, I guess, but like, I really could use the money. So as they're eating, Megan's saying like how bad the pizza is. And she's like, the pizza's crap today. Like they decided to get up and leave. But before they do that, Megan also suggests that they take down all the other babysitting posters so that no one else calls that guy and he doesn't get the help that he needs. So they leave the pizza parlor and Samantha goes back to her dorm. Once in the room, she lays on her bed and her roommate is snoring. Samantha gets overwhelmed and goes into the bathroom to cry. And this isn't like a a bathroom connected to their dorm room. This is like a public bathroom type area. Um, I don't know if you guys have it. Like when I was in college, my freshman year, it was like that. Like we didn't have a bathroom in our room, but there was like a bathroom basically with a bunch of stalls and stuff. So she comes back and her roommate's awake and tells her that, uh, you know, some guy called her and she took down his number and put it on her desk. And Samantha gets upset. She's like, why did, like, when did this happen? Why didn't you let me know? And we find out that it was the babysitter guy. Samantha is able to find his number and give him a call. He apologizes for not showing up this morning and he wants her to babysit tonight. He said someone else was going to do it, but she ended up not being a good fit. And he even offers to pay her double. So it would be $100 for the evening. And, you know, he's like, we will be home by midnight. It's $100, just a few hours. Like, we we just really need someone tonight. He gives her the address, and then Megan agrees to drive Samantha out to the house. 
Megan's really uncomfortable about the whole thing, but Samantha's like, I need the money. Like, it's an easy $100. No big deal. The kid's probably going to sleep the whole time. Like, it's all fine. And Megan also is going to be the one to come pick her up just after midnight. On the way there, they hear more about the eclipse on the radio. It's going to happen just after 1030. And Megan's like, I'm tired of hearing about the eclipse. Like, I can't wait for this thing to be over. That's all anyone's talking about. Then Megan offers to stay with this Samantha because she really doesn't feel comfortable with this whole situation. She's like, it's out in the middle of nowhere. And you can tell she's clearly worried about her friend, which I think is really nice. And so they're sitting in the car and then Megan's like, if I tell you something, will you promise not to get mad? And Samantha's like, no, because I don't know what it is. And she's like, no, you just have to promise you're not going to be upset with me. And Samantha's like, I can't, I'm not making that promise. And Megan shows her all of the flyers, um, for the babysitting job. She went around campus and took them all down. Samantha's a bit mad and Megan keeps apologizing. And Megan's like, I just, I just really want to stay with you to make sure that everything's going to be okay. And she's like, I mean, their house is all the way out here. Like, they probably have a lot of money. So, like, how how odd they can they be? And Megan's like, you think having lots of money makes you normal? Like, you should meet my family. They end up driving past the cemetery and then shortly pull up to the house. It's a gorgeous, huge, gothic-style house. Absolutely stunning. I love a house like that. In the process of buying a house right now, it's, oh, it's very stressful. It's very stressful to buy a house. But I'm in the process of buying a house right now. And I love the house that I got. But if I had to, like, pick a house, if I had to pick a style for the outside of my house, it would definitely be this, like, gothic exterior. Um, The inside of the house that we're looking at buying is absolutely stunning. Beautiful woodwork, all of that, like, vintage, older look. It's, like, a 100-year-old house. But the outside's just kind of boring stucco. Back to the film. They both get out of the car, and Samantha knocks on the door, and a very tall man answers the door. We then learn that it's Mr. Ullman. And Samantha introduces herself, and she introduces Megan. But we don't see the man yet. Like, we see, we've got, like, a side angle of Samantha and Megan. And then we see the door open, and we see this hand come out. But we don't see the man yet. We just see this hand. And the way that the girls, like, look up at him looks like he's very, very tall. But I'm guessing it's really just, like, a step up into the house based on, like, the porch where they're at because he doesn't look that tall when standing next to them inside. So next they all go inside and he explains a little bit more about the job and he then asks to speak to Samantha alone. He says that he can't afford to pay Megan, he can only afford to pay one of them. And she's like, oh no, like I'm really sorry about that, like Megan's just my ride, like, you know, she's not staying, no worries. And Mr. Ullman also explains that his wife is really on edge, you know, he explains that it's actually not a child that Samantha's going to be watching, but his mother. Um, but she's just going to be in her room all night. She can take care of herself. You're just here in case of like a crazy emergency. Um, and while this conversation is taking place, Megan is sitting in the living room eating hard candy out of a bowl on the coffee table, which I just think is really funny because she like eats one and then she likes it. And so then she like reaches for it and she grabs like six or seven of them and, and like puts them in her purse, which I think is hilarious. So Mr. Ullman now tells Samantha that he'll actually be watching his mother. Uh, She goes to leave and he like quickly gets up to try and stop her. He's like, she won't need much. Like I promise, you know, it's going to be fine. They have been trying to find someone, but no one's willing to do it because of like horror stories in the paper and things like that. He's like, it really just is like babysitting. And then he offers to pay her $300, which is the payment for her first month's rent. She counters at 400 and he agrees. Next, we see Megan storming out of the house. She's like, we agreed if it was weird, we walk. And Samantha's like, look, like, I get my first month's rent and then some. Like, I can't turn this down. 
Like, and Samantha's like, no, we agreed. If they're weird, we leave. These guys lied to you. Like, this is ridiculous. And she's like, look, $400 for four hours. Like, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to sit and watch TV. It's not that big of a deal. Megan still agrees to pick her up, but she's clearly not happy. And Samantha says, look, like, this one night could change everything for me. Just please be here at 1230. And Megan's like, okay, fine. So Megan leaves and Samantha walks back inside. Megan's driving and pulls into the cemetery to have a cigarette. Her lighter isn't working, so she like hits the cigarette lighter in her car so that that heats up and rolls down her window. While she waits um, from inside her car, we see this like lighter come into her car window, of course, like attached to a hand, you know, like there's a hand holding the lighter. It's a pretty decent jump scare. Um, you kind of know something's coming, but you're not expecting just like a hand and a lighter, you know, it's a, it's a very innocent jump scare, but a, a decent jump scare nonetheless. Uh, a man appears and of course clearly scares Megan, just showing up randomly, putting a hand in her car. He offers her the lighter. He's being kind of weird. She takes it, lights her cigarette, and then she's like, where did you come from? Like, are you just hanging in the cemetery? Like, that's really creepy. And he's like, so you're not, like, are you not the babysitter? And she's like, no, that's my friend. And as she's talking, he reaches in the car and shoots Megan in the head. Great gore. You see great, like, blood splatter inside of the, like, windshield. Very solid kill. The car starts rolling forward because she hadn't shut it off, so it kind of rolls a little bit. He's able to stop it and get inside. And then he even takes the cigarette out of her hand and smokes it, which, like, has to be covered in blood. It's kind of nasty. I mean, mean, yeah, it's kind of gross. So back in the house, we see Ullman is paying Samantha half up front, so he's giving her $200 now, and then we'll give her $200 at the end of the night. He says that mother's asleep and can take care of herself. Again, she's just really needed in case of an emergency. She, he's like, you probably won't even see her or really, like, know that she's there, um, but, you know, just, just in case something happens. He gives her the number where they're going to be for the evening and keeps telling her that there's a number on the fridge to order pizza. He's like, I know you college kids love pizza. Like, there's a number on the fridge if you want pizza. He goes upstairs to get his wife, and Samantha sits on the couch, and while she waits, a woman comes in from another room. She sees Samantha through a mirror in a different room, and we learn that this woman is Miss Ullman. She's dressed in all black. We learn that her name is Vivian. They chat a little bit, you know, about both of them not really liking the cold. We learn that Samantha is a sophomore in college and Vivian's complimenting her and she's kind of being weird. She's like, oh, I bet like all the guys love you and like your hair's so pretty and all this stuff. And she's trying to learn about Samantha's family and past, which at the beginning, it it's not a super big red flag, but when you then learn what's going on, you're like, oh, you're sizing her up to see if anyone's going to miss her. Like, you're trying to see if anyone's going to come looking for her. Like, it's very calculated, and I really enjoyed that detail when I watched this the, when I watched this the second time, because I didn't quite clock it the first time that, like, that was for sure what was going on. I was like, she's just asking kind of, like, weird random questions. And then it was like, oh, no, like, she's clocking to make sure no one's going to come looking for this girl if she goes missing. Mr. Ullman comes downstairs and him and Vivian talk about how happy they are that things worked out and now they can go enjoy their evening. They're planning on going to watch the eclipse and they're very excited about it. They leave and he again reminds her about the number on the fridge for the pizza. Samantha watches them leave and then she calls Megan from the home phone to see if Megan made it home. Megan doesn't answer and Samantha leaves a voicemail. She fills up her water bottle in the kitchen and then calls for some pizza. Samantha then walks around and turns on lights in one of the sitting rooms and brings all of her things in. She also walks around downstairs checking out the place. She finds kind of like a billiards room. She plucks a few keys on the piano. 
then she goes upstairs to kind of snoop around. She goes into what looks like Mr. Ullman's office and looks in his desk, tries on his glasses. It's kind of rude if you ask me. She's really snooping around. She has no reason to be upstairs at all. And she goes into what looks like a boy's room. There's like a fish in a bowl and cowboy wallpaper on the wall and like little league trophies. She doesn't open any of the closed doors, even though she clearly wants to. She kind of like stops at them and listens to see if it's it's the room that his mother's in, but it's, I, I'm, it's very interesting. I've not babysat in homes that like I've not been in before, but I still don't think I'd feel like that was a smart idea going and like snooping around. Um, you know, like I've babysat for like family members and houses that I've been in millions of times, but so maybe you would get that urge in a place you've never been before, but I, I don't think I would. That's definitely like a, a boundary that I, that I don't think I would want to cross. She goes into the upstairs bathroom and just kind of looks inside. And next we see, um, it kind of seems like based on the camera angle, um, I'm guessing that Ty West is wanting us to feel like she's being watched from outside the house. Um, we can see her kind of through these big open windows upstairs. So now that she's done snooping, Samantha is looking over some of her coursework, but that doesn't last long. She pulls a snack out of her bag and eats it. She hears something outside and goes to check the window. She then turns on the TV and eats some more of her snack. The news is on, they're talking about the eclipse. They say that it's gonna be two hours of not being able to see the moon. And at that point, Samantha turns off the TV and plugs in her music instead. She plays pool and she seems like she's pretty good at it. She dances around the house a bit and she sees a door that leads to the basement, but decides not to go down. She dances her way upstairs and bumps into a little table and ends up breaking a vase. She cleans it up and as she does, she finds a door to a closet and it's filled with furs, even though her and Vivian were talking before they left and Vivian said that she was going through her furs in the basement. So maybe she has two sets of furs. She's got some in an upstairs closet and some in a basement, but how many furs does one person need? Um, Samantha also finds what look like old family photos and the car in the pictures is the same as the omens, but the people in front of the house and in front of the car are not the omens. Samantha goes outside and ends up seeing a van that wasn't there earlier. Samantha then tries to call Megan again, but it still goes to voicemail and she's looking a bit more anxious and seems a bit worried. She ends up grabbing a knife from the kitchen and goes into the bathroom. Well, in the bathroom, she hears thumping and noises from upstairs and she goes to investigate. And I love the shadows in this scene as she's going up the stairs because she's got like the knife out in front of her. It's a great shadow. If you watch it, check out when the scene happens, the wall on the, by, like behind the stairs. It's 10 out of 10 shadow. As she's looking around, uh, she has the knife and she stops at a door. She leans in to listen and asks if everything's all right in there. She must be assuming that this is the room the mother is in and we get no answer. But on the other side of the door is the murdered family from the pictures that she found. But only the audience sees that. Samantha doesn't see that. We hear another thump and Samantha goes to a new door that leads to what looks like the attic. At this moment, the doorbell rings. Pretty good jump scare. Scares Samantha, but it's just a pizza guy. She throws him a $100 bill, tells him to keep the change, and shuts the door and falls to the ground with the pizza. Then outside the house, we see Victor, the guy who killed Megan, um, outside the house, like he's watching it. Samantha calls the number Mr. Ullman gave her, but it doesn't end up going through. She ends up dialing 911 and then immediately hangs up, but the 911 operator calls her back and she apologizes and says, no, like I'm not in need of an emergency. Like there's no emergency. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have called. It was a mistake. 
Samantha ends up cleaning off the knife that she had been carrying and gets some pizza. She's clearly shaken up a bit, but she sits on the couch with the pizza, turns on the TV, and it's the Night of the Living Dead playing. She ends up shutting it off. And as she's eating the pizza, she kind of slows down and it doesn't appear like the pizza tastes any good. She ends up taking it to the kitchen and throwing it away and gets some more water. She goes back upstairs and stops at the door that she thinks the mother is in. She then goes back to the bathroom and walks inside this time in the upstairs bathroom and sees all of this black hair in the bathtub. Like literally someone has taken scissors and just cut all of their hair off and left it in the bottom of the tub. Feels kind of very like grudge-like to me a little bit. She hears another thump and it seems to be coming from the attic. She walks up the stairs and there's this kind of light switch, a little like pulley at the top of the stairs. And so when she goes to pull that, it flips a breaker and the power goes out in the house. But someone's on the other side of the door. Samantha is scared and at this point she seems to get really tired really fast and clearly there was something in the pizza. She's having a hard time standing up. She's having a hard time walking. She's slowing down. Her vision's getting blurry. She tries to go back downstairs but ends up passing out in the hallway upstairs. Next, we see these flashing images of a red moon and a candle. And then we see Samantha tied up on the floor in the middle of a pentagram. Very much sacrifice style. She's struggling and trying to break free. Mr. Ullman, Vivian are in these like gray cloaks. Victor, the man who killed Megan, is also there in this cloak. Um, And then we see the mother come out. She pulls up Samantha, and Samantha's clothes have been changed. She's not in her jeans and flannel anymore. She's in, like, this white dress. So the mother pulls up Samantha's dress, and the others are clearly very excited. She rubs blood on Samantha's stomach in a pentagram shape, and then she also takes this ram skull and places it over the pentagram and, like, sets it on her stomach. The mother then cuts her wrists and puts blood in the skull, and then she puts some blood on Samantha's forehead, also in the shape of a pentagram. She then picks up the ram skull and dumps the blood from inside the skull into Samantha's mouth. Samantha struggles more and is able to break out of the tie on her wrists. She gets the rope off of her legs as well, and she stab, and she's able to stab Mr. Ullman with the knife that the mother used to cut, you know, her own wrist. She's trying to run. She fights off the sun by poking him in the eye. She escapes the basement and sees Megan's dead body on the floor. They had, like, brought her into the house and, like, laid her on the floor by the basement. And so there's just this giant pool of blood at the top of the basement stairs, like, in the kitchen. And totally, like, Samantha slips in it. Her She's now covered in Megan's blood. That white dress is not white anymore and will never be white again. The sun is still coming after her, and she ends up running up the stairs. He meets her on the other side of the stairs, so there's, like, a front side of the staircase, and then there's another staircase kind of at the back end of the house that go upstairs, and so he takes the back ones when he realizes that that's where she's going, and he ends up shooting her in the shoulder. She falls and starts crying, and as he gets close to her, she turns around and cuts his throat with the knife. He slowly dies, and she goes up to the attic as his mom goes upstairs and finds her son dead. Samantha's white gown, like I mentioned, is now blood red. It's a great detail. There's great visuals in this tie. Chef's kiss. Great job. 10 out of 10. Samantha's having these weird visions, and she's looking at her stomach. She's seeing this weird being, and, like, she's seeing all this blood and these visions, and she's in the bathroom upstairs, and Miss Ullman pulls her out and says that it can't be stopped. 
Vivian pulls her out of the room and tells Samantha that it can't be stopped now. Vivian is talking to the moon, and this gives Samantha time to stab her in the back, and Vivian goes down. The moon is now starting to become visible. Samantha goes downstairs and takes the gun from Victor. She tries to call 911, but the phone isn't working. She's getting these visions, and they're looks like they're giving her a headache or they're just scaring her so much. She leaves the house and Mr. Ullman is also coming after her. She runs into the cemetery and he follows her and he's trying to get her to listen. He's like, listen, just like, let's talk about this. Like, you can hear them, right? Like, just listen to the voices. He's chosen you and it's your destiny to accept him. She points the gun at him and he's like, go ahead and kill me. Like, I'm just the messenger. It's only moments away now. You can't do anything to stop it. Samantha brings the gun to her head and shoots herself while Vincent tries to plead with her. Next, we cut to a news story about the eclipse ending very suddenly. The, the news reporter is like, scientists are confused. Like, it was supposed to take longer than that. And then suddenly, like, the moon was fully visible. Um, you know, scientists can't explain why that happened. All this different stuff. And as we're hearing this, we see a hospital. We're kind of panning down the hallway. And then we're in a hospital room. And Samantha's alive. A nurse comes in to check on her and says, don't worry, you're going to be just fine. Both of you. And places a hand on Samantha's stomach. This is when we learn that she's pregnant with Satan's child, and now she really is the babysitter. And that's when we get the roll credits. There's just a freeze frame, great cliffhanger, pregnant Samantha. She's not showing yet, but, you know, the nurse placing the hand on the stomach and saying both of you is a pretty clear sign of what happened. Um, and then the credits start rolling with that freeze frame on Samantha in the hospital bed in a coma. Um, I'm guessing a medically induced coma. I mean, she did shoot herself in the head, um, but I'm, I'm guessing they're going to keep her in a coma until she's ready to have the baby so that she doesn't try to hurt herself for the baby. And that is the end of The House of the Devil. I really enjoy this movie. I think it's really good. A lot of people think it's really too slow and it's, it's boring, but I love all the visual effects. Um, it's really good if you're watching it from, I mean, I love it as a scary movie anyway, but watching it from kind of the cinema effects and things like that, I think the directing is amazing. I love the acting. Um, I kind of, yeah, it's I, it's it's a really good one. Um, I enjoy it. So if you're into that kind of thing, definitely give it a check out. If you're a Greta Gerwig fan, I would definitely check it out because she's in it. Um, and yeah, I think that that's all that I have for you. So if you enjoyed the podcast, if you're a fan of the podcast, go ahead and Give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever it is you're listening. I'm really enjoying doing this. I'm having a really good time with it. It's been really fun watching all these scary movies and um, kind of getting into the horror community a little bit more on social media. If you want to follow me on socials for the podcast, the podcast is on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. I hope that everyone has a wonderful week or weekend whenever they're listening to this, and I can't wait to see y'all in the next one. Remember to stay safe and stay spooky.